Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. We, um, today we've been, you know, talking about, it's come a few times about the power of God and, and miracles. Rach mentioned about in the giving, about stories where God has provided. And, uh, and I'm a person that believes in miracles and the, and the story message title today I've chosen is I Believe in Miracles. And uh, if we were to go around, you know, even people and our friends, people we know, if we were to go to someone and say, hey, do you want to see a, do you want to see a miracle? Do you want to see a, a miracle happen? Most people are going to go, oh, well, oh, no, nah, not really, not really interested. I'm just, I'd rather go I'd rather go to sleep and get some rest. So they're not going to go, oh, you know, not really. Most people, when you talk to them and say, do you want to see a miracle? You know, or even say something like, do you want to see, like, God's power? Would you like to see God do something? Do you even, you know, believe in God? And even if they were sort of believed in God or something, they'd be curious. And, and most people are going to go, yes, yes, I would. I'd like to see it. Can you show me a miracle? If you can show me a miracle, I'd, I'd want to see a miracle. And so, you know, we also live in a world that's written many songs about miracles, not just Christian songs about God, but other songs of, you know, entitled, I believe in miracles and, uh, and all that kind of, you know, things like that. And so lines in songs and talk about all this kind of stuff. So there's a world we live in that wants to maybe see something that is the impossible. Those shows on TV that want to see the impossible, that talk about this, that something that's in out there, way out there, thinking, man, if you know, they they read because there's a desire in their heart to see it. And so when we read the Bible, the Bible really is a book of miracles. There's uh, stories in the Old and New Testament that have incredible miracles that show demonstrations of the power of God. And so we read about all those things and God just doesn't want us to just read a story and just go, that was an awesome story and that was a great, did you see what happened there? But He actually wants us to read it and there's things in stories that speak to us and He wants them, there's things that we can grab out of it, what God has done and how people have acted and what they've done or not done that teaches us and helps us to live our life. And today I want to share one of those stories shortly. But before we do that, you know, I've seen some incredible miracles. I've, uh, I've seen on this stage, probably 18 months ago, two years ago, I've seen, uh, I remember one night saw two legs grow. And I was standing there and I prayed for them and they grew about two inches, five or six centimeters at each leg. And that one leg was shorter than the other. And I watched the leg physically grow. I've seen that happen. I remember being in a meeting once with a large, it was an auditorium with a lot of people. And then there was a person in the auditorium that was in a wheelchair and paralyzed. And a person, it wasn't a person on stage who was speaking or an evangelist that was there. It was someone in the crowd walked over and began to, looked at a person in a wheelchair and began to pray for them. And the person in the wheelchair sort of felt something happen and said, I want to stand up. And as they stood up, they were completely healed and they walked out of that wheelchair. I saw that happen. And then I've also seen, we got Maddie up the back there uh, doing sound this morning. And, and, you know, years ago he had a, um, a car ran over his ankle and it and it damaged the whole side of his ankle and, and actually wore away the tire wore away his whole bone his ankle bone on the outside you can feel your ankle bone and uh, his was completely gone had lots of operations to sort of fix that and and all that and so it had no bone there there was the tendons and that covering it and skin graft and all that kind of stuff but there was one night um, 18 months or so ago that he was standing at this altar and no one actually went up and physically prayed for him but he was just worshiping God and suddenly at the end of the night he realized his ankle was a bit different. He went down and his bone had been reformed in his ankle. 
And so he's here today. And so there's miracles like that happen, but miracles aren't just miracles of healing. There's many other miracles. A miracle that's just as important is our restoration of a family. I've heard many stories of miracles of, of just terrible relationships between children and fathers and things have gone on for 30 years and suddenly God's restored and, and all this healing's happened. That's a miracle. There's other miracles. One of the greatest miracles is salvation. When someone can be in darkness, but they come and they respond to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. And they step out of darkness and into light. And, and you know, that is one of the most amazing miracles that in a moment someone can surrender and their, and their sin and their shame is washed away and, and they are forgiven. And in a moment, God accepts them and they're back into relationship with God. And there's a journey, a brand new journey that starts where they grow and get to know God. But there's a moment where it's like a miracle where God moves and touches their heart. And, and this morning in our first service, at the end of the service, there was 10 people responded to Jesus in our first service. And so many, and then three, at least three of them had never done that before. And some were from transformation, some were from, they've just been to church the last few weeks, some had been invited along. And there's a whole bunch of people. And I looked at them, I said, every one of you are a miracle. You're the miracle today. You're the miracle, because they are, because it's a, it's, it's, it's a miracle. It's the power of God at work. And so we see all these things happening, and we, there's a desire in our lives to see. So the story I'm going to share today has an incredible miracle in it, has an incredible uh, story about the power of God moving, which happened in the story on the seventh day in this story. It was a, a story that happens over seven days in time. And on the seventh day, an incredible miracle happened. And if we look at the number seven in the Bible, it's a significant number. Every number in the Bible, whether you wear it or not, you can look them up. Three, four, five, there's every number has significance in the Bible. And seven is a very significant number. In fact, the number seven in the Bible is mentioned 735 times in the Bible. And the number seven means completeness and perfection, both physical and spiritual completeness and perfection. Some examples of why it's a complete meaning completeness is simply we have seven days in a week. And at the end of seven days, the week is complete. That's one way of understanding the number seven. <coughs> Another thing that I found out when I was reading about this, there's lots of patterns in the Bible of number seven. One of them, though, that Jesus did miracles, seven times he did this, he healed someone on the Sabbath, which his religious leaders got really upset about. You can read about some of them, that guy's hand, all that kind of stuff in the temple. And so you can't do miracles on the Sabbath, they'd say to him. He did seven times, he healed someone on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is the seventh day. And so seven times Jesus healed someone on the seventh day. So if you go looking in the Bible, suddenly there's all these patterns where God speaks to us in the Bible. And they're not accidents. God has put them there to speak to us as a reason. So for completeness, per perfection. And this is one of the stories where the number seven is used. Where God says when they have completed what they were doing, that it's like after seven days, a miracle happened. The power of God was released. And so the story I'm talking about is in the book of Joshua. It's a story that you have probably heard before and read before. Some of you may not have, and that's fine. I'm going to tell the story. It's a story we actually talked about in kids' church last week, and, and it's a story that people read it, and you go, that's an amazing story every time you read it. And it's about Jericho, where the people of Israel marched around that city 
and an incredible miracle happened at the end of it. And in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 to 16, I'm going to read. In chapter 1, it starts off by saying, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut up because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in. So the city of Jericho was a massive city. The walls were so thick that they raced chariots around the top of the walls. Okay, so we're talking about quite thick walls. It's not the kind of city where the people of Israel are going to go, let's just let's knock these walls down or let's just do this, knock the gates down. It wasn't that kind of city. They could have sieged the city and sat there long enough and, and they may have waited the people out. But God gave directions to Joshua, who was leading the Israelites at that time, about what they were going to do about this city. If we backtrack a little bit, there was... Down their last generation, these are the children, but their mums and dads and grandparents were the ones that were slaves in Egypt. God had rescued them out of Egypt with Moses and part of the Red Sea. And they got in the desert and God said, I'm going to give you the promised land. And this is the promised land where Joshua, where Jericho, they just stepped into. And the last generation could have went in there, but they got into the desert and they started whinging and complaining to God and thought, no, God, we don't want to listen to you. We want to do it our way. And there was murmuring and whinging, not once, but over and over again. And God said, if you're going to keep, if you can't do it my way, if you're going to live like that, you're going to end up just staying. You're not going to get into the promised land. And in the end, they whinged and complained so much. They'd seen all the miracles, seen God do amazing things, and then provided for them for 40 years. And God said, you are not the generation that's going to go into the promised land because of your whinging and complaining. He said, it's going to be the next generation. And so now we arrive at the next generation and Joshua is now leading the next generation. Joshua had seen and some other leaders had seen what was going on, but he said, we're going to lead this in a different way. We're, not going, we're going to listen to God. And so previous to coming arriving at Jericho, they had just seen another incredible miracle that to get into the promised land, they had to cross the Jordan River. And, and God, when the Ark of the Covenant, which was with them, represents the presence of God, touched the water. The waters parted and they walked, again, this is different to the Red Sea, the whole nation walked through the Jordan River to get into the Promised Land. And this happened just prior to it. And they arrive in the, this land and they camped outside Jericho. And the people of Jericho had heard about the miracles God had done. They would have heard about the water parted. And so these people, that's why the Bible says they'd shut up the city and it said they were, because the people were afraid of the Israelites because they realized that God was with them. They'd heard about the miracles. They'd heard about what God had done and they thought they were right. What are they going to do to us? What are we going to do? I don't know what they want exactly. I think they want our city because God had promised it to them many, many years ago. And so they're camped outside the city. They're expecting an attack, but it's not what God said to do. The Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho. He said, you've already got it. It's already yours. It's king and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark. That's the ark of the covenant. Each carrying a ram's horn, which is also known as a shofar. On the seventh day, you were to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the, their horns. When you hear the priests give a long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people will charge straight into the town. So Joshua called everyone together, the priests, and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk uh, in front of it. 
each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. Now a couple of things about this. The first thing is this, the, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, without going all the details about it, the Ark of the Covenant basically represented the presence of God. Where they carried the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God was with them. And we know that by what we just read. It says, as they started marching in the presence of the Lord. So it wasn't like we're carrying the presence of God. It wasn't you know, it's limited to that, the ark. It's like wherever it was, it says they were marching in the presence of God. So they got the, the priests, seven of them, with seven ram's horns, with the soldiers for front and behind. And they're marching around this city, and it says they're marching in the presence of God. In other words, the presence of God surrounded them. The presence of God was in everything they were doing. God was with them. There was no doubt that they knew that God's presence, they could feel His presence. It was a tangible presence that God was with them. Just like in the meeting, both services this morning in the worship, there's points in our worship where we sit there and maybe it's quiet or maybe there's a one or two lines, but it's like you just feel you're aware of the presence of God. It's like you know God's in the house. There's times when you can be through the week and driving your car and you just stop and you pray or you just stop and... You might sing a song or whatever it may be, and you just think about God, and suddenly you're aware His presence is with you. It's tangible. You feel it. And they were totally aware that the presence of God was with them because the Ark of the Covenant was there. And God said, make sure my presence is in the middle of what I'm doing. The presence, His presence, had to be with them. So they started marching in the presence of God. And they blew the ram's horn, the shofar, when... Uh, and when it was blown, there's certain things that will happen. They still use that today in Israel for certain festivals and feasts. They still use it every time there's a new president or a president is sworn in. The shofar is blown to this very day announcing there's a new prime minister in their land. One of the things it declares, there's many things that if you read about, it's pretty powerful what it actually represents. But one of the things it declares, every time that ram's horn is blown, it is stating that this exact phrase, it declares the Lord God is the king of the universe. That's what you can look in Psalms as a scripture that says that exactly what it's stating. And so every time they're marching around the city and they're blowing the ram's horn, there's seven priests, seven Trumpets, seven ram's horns are blowing constantly, declaring the Lord God is the God of the universe. The Lord God is the God of the universe. So they're walking around this city declaring that God is the God of the universe. Another thing it represents, real quick, if you want to go a little bit deeper, another thing which is pretty powerful is that when, um, it's, I'm pretty sure it's Isaac, when he was being sacrificed on the mountain and and if you know the story, he was taken up the mountain and he, and he said, I need you to sacrifice your son. He's about to get the knife and he's built an altar and he's got the knife and he's about to take it. And God says, no, stop. And he stops him and then he says, I'll provide another sacrifice. And in the thicket, okay, this happened many, many years before. In the thicket is a ram, okay. And so then the ram was taken and it was sacrificed. If you look at everything, the ram's horn is a representation of Jesus because that whole story is a rep representation of Jesus. And the ram was sacrificed in place of his son. 
And it's a picture of God sending his own son to be sacrificed later down the track. But the whole, there's pictures of Jesus all through the Bible. In every story, there's pictures of Jesus. And this is one of them. The ram's horn is a representation of Jesus, the price that he paid for us, his blood that was shed. He defeated death. And so they're carrying around this. They're blowing it, declaring God is the God of the universe, that he defeats sin. He defeats death. And so they're marching around the city. And it says this, And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some of the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout. Do not even talk, he says. Moment. He says, For six days, no one says anything. Now, I can understand that uh, some of you may struggle with that. That if we were going, oh, we're just going to, we should do this. Let's, let's get up out of our seats and let's just march around the church. And we'll do this once a day for six days. Now, the neighbors may think um, we're a bit strange. Uh, if we do that, why are they doing that? Oh, we're trying to flatten out our driveway out there. It's a, stones are out of place, so we're just going to march around and, and fix up a few things. You know, they would seem a bit strange, but can you imagine and say, we're going to do this and no one can say a word. Some of you would really struggle with that. Some of you go, but I love to talk. I love talking to people. Before when Rachel's emceeing and we're about to come around communion and, uh, and everyone's chatting away, it's like, okay, we're going to come back around the seats. And it's like, and this is like, everyone's talking. It's like, but we love talking. Yeah, well, we love talking. And so it's really hard to stop talking. And that's fine. We love people talking as well. And so, but God specifically says, no talking, no shouting, no noise at all. And I can imagine if you're walking around with your mate, you're in the army, and you think of something, you're going, I really need to tell him this. But God said no. There's a reason why God said no. And so they were told, not talk, don't even talk. Joshua commanded, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests said, Again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests and the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns, declaring, God is the king of the universe. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. Now, you know, you could be thinking, because they've listened to Joshua and some of them for sure are thinking, what, what kind of plan is this? Like, this does not make sense. We're just marching around. These people on the walls are looking at us. And they're like going, this is the weirdest, this is the weirdest siege I've ever seen in my entire life. Why are they, why are they, are they trying to make us dizzy? Like just walking around and around. Are we meant to be dizzy? What were they trying to beat us by dizziness? And we're always going to fall and collapse in our seat. You know what? And they thought, this is, we've never seen a battle like this. And the soldiers themselves, God didn't give them a reason why. He just said, I've given you the city, but this is the way you're going to march around. We've got to do this. For, we've done this for six days now, and, and something's going to happen tomorrow. We're, going to, we're doing something differently, so we're going around seven times. But we don't know what's going to happen after that. And so they, God gave them no explanation, but he said, just basically, you do as I say and watch what I do. And so they'd marched around for six days, blowing the horns, declaring. They followed that for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. By this time, 
But this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded a long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. And so you read on, and they shouted, and as they shouted, the walls, are said, just crumpled down. These massive walls, these thick walls crumpled down, and they marched straight into the city and took possession of the city. The shout released a sound that defeated the enemy and brought about a victory. Now you can just imagine they're like what this did to neighboring city. If you read on it, there's other towns that will go and conquer. And they had heard, imagine they heard, hey, these guys marched around the city. They didn't fire anything at the walls. They don't even touch the wall. They stood and they shouted and their shout knocked the walls down. You can imagine all the cities are going to be going, man, when they arrive... Just, just ask them to be quiet. Please, no shouting, whatever. Just like, we'll, just, we'll vacate our city. You know, we'll leave. You guys just come straight. We don't want our... We, you imagine what they're thinking, that God for sure is with them. God is with them. Miracles happen wherever the Israelites are. This nation, God is surely with them. And so God was making a statement in the middle of this battle. He was teaching Israelites something. He was also showing his power and who he was. And there's some patterns in this story, which we've already briefly talked about. But seven priests with seven ram's horns marched around Jericho with the army for seven days. And on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. I think God is trying to really um, iterate that seven is important. It's a number of completion. It's perfection. It's like spiritually there was something going on. The shout was not just a normal shout. It was a spiritual shout. It's like when, you're, when you had worshipped for seven days, when you obeyed me for seven days, when you'd done what I said for seven days, there was a power that was released and it was complete. And on the seventh day, my power was released because they did it God's way. They could have done it for six days and thought, oh, I'm sick of this. We're not going to do it that way. And nothing would have happened. They could have partially obeyed God and not fully obeyed Him and they would have missed out. We can partially obey God in our lives and we'll miss out. We can partially obey God and we may well not obey Him at all. God says, I need you full, fully obey me, fully do what I ask to do and then the power is released. Miracles are released. Blessing is released. And so... Why did God give such, such precise instructions about doing this? Well, I believe that because of the generation before, what they had done, this was a test for the Israelites. This is a test. The first city they were coming to, he says, I'm, gonna, you, I'm just going to see if you're going to listen to me. I'm going to see if you obey me. Because the past, as we, as we talked about before, their past generation grumbled against God, whinged against God, Thought that you know, God would say you should do it this way. And I said, oh, I don't think so. We want to do it our way. We don't agree with God. No, we don't want to do that. No, we want to do it this way, that way. Where they rebelled against God at times. All these things happened and they, they missed it. They just missed. They could have seen incredible. They could have seen so much more. But that generation missed it because they chose not to obey God. They chose to do it their own way. And so they had basically seen that happen. 
And they said, well, this time we are going to do it God's way. And so when God asked them to do it, even though it seemed a bit crazy, even though it seemed a bit out there, they knew God was a God of miracles. They knew God had real power, the God that nothing was impossible. They'd seen Him part water. They'd seen Him provide food in the desert. They'd seen all this stuff. They thought, I don't know how this is going to work out, but we're going to trust God. We're going to do it His way. And so the first thing they did is they simply listened to God. They simply listened to God. God spoke to Joshua and said, this is the instructions. Then Joshua spoke to the people. Sometimes in our own lives, we find it hard to listen to God. Or we choose not to listen to God. Or we sort of think, oh yeah, well, you know, I'll do that, but I've got a few ideas as well or whatever. And we add our own things to it. Listen to me. I want to speak to you. I want you to hear me. I want you to read my word and listen to what it says because it's important what I'm trying to tell you. And so they learned the first thing that there's four things they did. The first thing they did is they listened to God. They put their own ideas aside, put their own comments aside, and they listened to God and what he had to say. They listened to the man of God, representation was Joshua, and they listened to what God's plan was. The second thing they did, which I think was one of the most significant things is that they had to exercise discipline and obedience. And this happened by God saying to them, for six days, I don't want you to say a thing. I don't want you to speak and I don't want you to shout. Now, I think the reason God did this is because the past generation was complainers. They were murderers. They were all the grumblers, all that kind of stuff. And so God says, I want to see if you guys are going to act the same way. So this is what's going to happen. For six days, I don't want you to speak. And he goes, probably it's a test for them. And he's saying, and he says, okay, we'll see. We'll see if any of them complain. We'll see if any of them winch. And you, you imagine marching around in the hot sun or whatever it may have been, you know, for around the city, however long it took, a few hours, two or three hours maybe, I don't know. Depends how fast they walked. Going around and they would have been dusty and hot and they could have, and they're getting halfway through and going, we've been doing this. For five days, six days, oh, I'm tired, I'm sick of it, I'm getting dizzy, can we go around the opposite way? You know, can I'm just, you know, they could have started whinging. And, you know, imagine if we had to, God asks us, sometimes God asks us to do things, and we go, oh, I've done this, God wants me to read that again in the Bible, I've read it five times, I've read it six times, and we can start whinging, complaining about the littlest things. I'm sick of this person. Why do they keep doing that? I'm sick of my boss. And so God will test us. Exactly what George was saying this morning about words we speak. Because they carry life and death. The past generation grumbled and spoke words of death over themselves. They grumbled and whinged. And what happens? They wandered in the desert. And so God said, I don't want you to speak at all for six days. See if you can do that. Let's see what happens. I see people in our world, I know I've seen for many years, some of them, a lot of them aren't Christians or anything like that, but every time you talk to them, they've got something to complain about. 
Who knows someone like that? And so they've got something to whinge. They're like, oh, the, you know, the government's no good or that leader's no good or the council's no good or my neighbor, neighbor keeps mowing the lawn at 8.30 in the morning when I want to sleep and that's no good. And it's just, and, and you know, and then this happens and that happens. And I got pulled over the police the other day for a breath test. That hasn't happened in years, but I don't know why they pulled me over. They should be pulling someone else over. And so they, you know, you, you know have a conversation with several people and, I, and like every time they... Start chatting, but all of a sudden there's always something they find to complain about or whinge about. The problem with being a complainer and a whinger is this, that after a bit of time you become very critical of people and then your heart grows bitter. And it doesn't matter. You can, and when your heart gets bitter and when you're critical of the thing, nothing suits you then nothing is right even if something you can turn something that's good into something bad you can find something to whinge about even if it's really good I'm still going to find something wrong with that and kind of complain about it and whinge about it and everyone's going to hear about it anyone being like that and the problem is I've seen those same people that you meet them a couple of years down the track and it's like they are still in the same place. They're still whinging about the same things from 10 years ago. They're still whinging about the same people. They're still, and it's like their life's exactly the same and they haven't achieved anything. They haven't did as living life, but it's like that it's going round and round in circles, exactly the same way the past generation did. They were in the dirt and they went round and round and round. They didn't do anything. They didn't achieve anything. And whinging and complaining, that's what it does. It keeps you in the same spot and you don't grow. And so... God says, I'm going to test this generation. They're, they're doing what I'm saying, but I don't want you to speak. I don't want you to be like the last generation. I want you to hold your tongue for six days. And so they did. And so they obeyed God. They learned to be disciplined. And, when, and so God honored that. And then the other third thing they did is they praised God. Every blast from that ram's horn was praising God. They weren't saying anything, but the ram's horn, the shofar they were blowing, was declaring God is the God of the universe. They didn't need to say anything until they had to shout. But the ram's horn spiritually was declaring God is the God of the universe. God is the God of the universe. They were surrounded in darkness that wasn't following God, that was following other gods. And they were declaring those gods you worship, they're not, they're not gods. They're not the true God. The true God is in the presence marching around your city. He's the king of the universe and it's being declared. And so they praise God. And the fourth thing they did it's real simple. They did it together. They did it together. They did it in unity. They did it together. They didn't have some people go, oh, I'm going to go off and do it my way. They already had that happen in the last generation. We want to do it my way. We want to do it our way. No, they did it together. God said, I want you to get and march around together. Get everyone together. Do it together. And when they did that, the Word of God says that where there's unity, God commands the blessing. God commands the blessing. God simply said, do it together. Do it together. So how does this, these things apply to us? We want to see more of the power of God. We want to see it work in our lives. We want to see more miracles happen in our lives. And here's the thing. But sometimes we don't listen to God, so we miss the miracle. Sometimes we listen, but we don't obey, so we miss the miracle. Sometimes we choose to praise other things instead of praising God. And so we separate ourselves from God's power. God never wants to separate Himself from us, but we can separate ourselves from God when we choose to 
praise other things and elevate other things other than God. And sometimes we do that so we miss out on God's power. Sometimes we choose to do life alone and we miss the blessing and support that there is in unity. Sometimes we separate, oh, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this myself. No, I don't need your help. I, no, I don't need support from the group. I don't need support for church. I don't need you to pray for me. I'll be fine. No, I don't, I'll, I'll get to church when I can, but I don't really need to hang out with people. I'll be fine. I'll just, I'll, I'm right by myself. And so people, when, when we isolate ourselves, it's so dangerous because the enemy just, he'll target people that isolate themselves. But when we get together, where there's unity, God commands a blessing. God puts us together. So when, when one person may be weak, someone else is strong. And so the stronger people at that time can help those that are having a hard time or a bit weaker and those that you're, you're strong and someone else is having a struggle and you in turn help them. We support each other. There's unity. There's togetherness. And so God commands blessing when we are doing it together. So don't isolate yourself. Don't try and do life alone. And I understand people separate themselves alone because they've been hurt by other people. They've been hurt by past situations. But God's desire is never for people to hurt you. You need to be in a family of God that will love you. That will love you. you will not walk into a bunch of people that are perfect. You will have people that rub you up the wrong way. You won't get on with everyone and you don't have to. You don't have to be friends, really good buddies with everybody. And it's okay if you're not. You do have to get on with each other, chat to people, talk to people, but you don't have to be best friends with everybody. Everyone's going to have groups that they relate to because we work in different environments. We, our personalities gel with other people, and that's why we have life groups and small groups and different things. So find the group that suits you and join with it, and then join together on Sundays and worship together, and God will do miracles. His power will be released in your life. You'll see great things happen, bigger than things you've ever seen when we do it together. And we do it together. So many people I've seen isolate themselves from church and just from God in a way that, that they said, I love God, but I'm going to do it. And they missed out on, so I look back and they've missed out on so much. I have a conversation with them and I talk about things I've seen and they're like, oh, I haven't seen any of that. And it's simply because they've just chose to isolate themselves. So what, should, what do we do? We need to listen, obey, praise, and do it together. Listen, obey, praise together. Listen, obey, praise together. Listen to God. Obey God. Praise Him above other things. Put Him first and do it together. And when we do that, God's power is released. Miracles happen. We're going to finish in a couple of minutes' time. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning as we wrap this up. So maybe this morning, maybe, maybe you've struggled to listen to God. Maybe you've struggled to listen to God. Can I encourage you, if you struggle to listen, can I encourage you to do this? Grab your Bible every day, whether it's electronically or a physical Bible, whichever way you read it, or you might listen to it electronically. There's many ways people listen to it or read it. Can I encourage you to grab 10 minutes a day or more, whatever time you have and find a time where it's quiet and simply read it and don't say a thing. Don't talk. You can pray at the start and say, God, would you speak to me as I read your word? That's all you need to say. 
Don't let your mind wander off. Focus all your attention on His Word and just begin to read it. I guarantee you if you do that, as you read it, things will jump out at you and the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you and all you need to do is listen. Just listen. Just listen to what He says. Listen to what the words say. Listen to what the story you're reading says. Listen to what God's Word is speaking to you. So if you have trouble listening, do that. Begin to do that. I guarantee you, some things will start to change. You'll hear, you'll see. God will direct you. He'll lead you. He'll speak to you. Maybe you listen, but you struggle to obey. Sometimes you go, oh, no, I think I've got a better idea. Oh, I think I should do it this way instead, God. Can I encourage you to listen and obey? If you will pick up the Word of God and, and do what it says, you'll get the results of what it says. It's real simple. There's things in the Word of God that teach us how to live. You read the New Testament, God, Paul teaches many times about how to live, what, how to, how to honour and respect leadership and authorities and governments and all that. That's in Romans 8. And, and there's other areas where you te- if we learn to do those things, to not complain, not to, just to do those things as we read it and just obey those things, it's amazing what God does in your life. Suddenly you become brand new. Suddenly there's like this, this going, oh, I've never seen this before. And God's blessing comes upon your life as you honour God. And as you, if you, you might listen, but do what it says. Obey what it says. Start with those small things. There might be areas where you go, oh, I do that. I do all those things. But there's some things I just struggle with. Can I encourage you, if the Word of God says to do it, then do it. It's the Word of God. God knows best. Third is praise. Maybe you have struggle. Maybe there's other things that come before God in your praise. Maybe there's times when you praise God, but there's times when you go, oh, no, this, I, I, you, there's other things you put before Him. Praise just means the things that come first, really, the things you lift up above everything else. Most important things to you. Put God first and praise Him first. And the last thing is let's do it together. Don't be isolated. Maybe you struggle, everyone's here, you're here today, we had lots of people in the first service and and you're in church, we're together this morning, but maybe there's people you know, friends you know that say they know God, but maybe they don't really make it to church. Can I encourage you to encourage them to be here, to get to, whether they can't be at church on a Sunday because they're working or something, then get connected with a life group, connected with a men's group, women's group, whatever it may be, but get connected with a group, with a body, whether it's small or big, whatever it may be, where if they live here or live somewhere else, get connected with God. As we finish today, I just want you to close your eyes and just ask this one question. I'm just going to pray then to finish the service. Maybe you're here today, like the first service, there was a whole bunch of people that have never given their lives to Jesus and we never go past one meeting without asking this question. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered to Him and said, God, please forgive me of my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. I want to know you. I want want you to make me brand new. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll make you brand new. He'll make you clean. If you're here today, and you're saying, that's me, I need to do that. Maybe you did a long time ago, but you know that you're away from God. You feel like you're separated from God. But today, I want to give you an opportunity to say, I want to know Him today. I want to give my life, surrender my life to Him. If that's you today, just simply put up your hand and let me know. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.